From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today, Joe Para talks with me. Comedy is a good feeling, and watching something that makes you laugh is a generally good feeling, and so is falling asleep. So to tie the two together is fun. And then, yeah, there's definitely some characters that yell at each other or aren't the nicest, but I don't know, just generally what I wanted to see portrayed on television, and I when I made that. I found my, I grew up with the four grandparents within like five minutes of me growing up. So to, you know, I wanted to see more old people on TV. There wasn't enough of that. Para's a comedian and star of the Adult Swim show, Joe Para Talks With You. Today we discuss his unique comedy of kindness, of quietness, and how he navigates the world by making us laugh. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. We have an exciting announcement here at Riverside Chats, which is that we will be doing a live recording of an upcoming episode of this show at Benston Theater on September 24th, where you can see me on stage in conversation with the man himself from Mannheim Steamroller, Chip Davis. We'll be talking about his subversive approach to the music industry, the creation of Mannheim Steamroller, and how he's helped build spaces like Benson Theater for Omaha culture to flourish. Following the conversation, there will be an opportunity for audience participation and questions. I don't know, maybe we will, like Mr. Chip Davis himself, sing some Christmas songs, but make them really loud and intense. I don't know what's going to happen. It has to happen live, and hopefully you'll be there with us. Check for tickets at BensonTheater.org. An evening with Chip Davis, our first live recorded Riverside Chats since the show premiered on public radio. See you September 24th. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I'm talking with Joe Para, comedian, actor, and creator of the wonderful Adult Swim show, Joe Para Talks With You, which just aired its third season. Adult Swim is known for mature, crude programming, so perhaps Joe Para is an odd fit with his show that resembles something more like Mr. Rogers or Rick Steves than Rick and Morty. Today we're talking about how he found his voice and where it fits into the comedy landscape of today, which is often cynical and bleak. His comedy and style are completely unique, and he's performing in Omaha at the Admiral on August 6th. Tickets are available to that now, and here is my conversation with Joe Parra. So I'm I'm a massive fan of Joe Parra Talks with you, and even just the cadence of your voice and your energy is making me laugh. So I'm, I'm going to try to be like a normal human and not just like a fangirl <laughs> giggling the whole time, all right? <laughs> so bear with me. Love it. Sounds good. <laughs> so Joe Parra Talks with you. It's it's just like this singularly interesting show that I'm kind of obsessed with. It's this combination of humor, kindness, anxiety, and I don't think I'm alone in saying kind of like a profundity in its take on how to get through life day to day. I interviewed uh, Ethan Warren, who wrote an essay on Brightwall Dark Room about your show, where he characterizes it as this response to despair. And he says the thesis of it that he takes away from the show is that, quote, the world is filled with small good things that are so easy to ignore. But if you take the time to consider them, they can be the flame that lights your way through the darkness. Now, (laughs) there's a tonal dissonance kind of between what Ethan's writing and I think when I watch your show. But I'm curious, do you feel like that's right? Is, Is the essential sort of kindness of the show coming out of dealing with the darkness of the world? Mm. I just kind of set out to do a funny show and, you know, research stuff that I find is interesting or want to talk about, like, uh, I don't know, chairs or going to the grocery store. And I guess, yeah, there's probably more to it than that. But, you know, uh, yeah, I don't want to claim it's anything bigger than just a television program. <laughs> well, I mean, not a lot of people, though. Like, there are a lot of people out there, say, on YouTube or whatever. They, they talk about chairs. They're interested in chairs. They're interested in rocks. They're interested in uh, bean arches, right? And they, they can make a YouTube channel maybe where they talk about those things. But it doesn't necessarily connect with people on this emotional level. So, like, you, you are tapping into something. Is that just, It's happening kind of by – it's by happenstance? Or are you aware of sort of the broader ideas of the show? No, I <laughs> – that would be really funny if the whole thing was just accidental. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, oh, I uh, but but uh, no, I just don't try and uh, yeah put 
too much. I get in pretty in depth in this stuff and try and connect things. I don't know. Try and um, try and find you know mine everything and talk about it here from every angle that I can, and then in this relation to the character. But at the end of the day, what is important is uh, showing a good clip of somebody falling through a chair and getting a classic comedy gag and making them laugh. If we try to attract the balance of that or the, the start of all of that, where you came up with this idea of the balance and really, I guess, your comedic voice, uh, I, I imagine when you were growing up and probably soaking in comedy, it was not a whole lot like what Joe Parra talks with you is like. I imagine it was like the edgy alternative guys sort of emerging out of, I don't know, like a late Carlin tradition, right? What, what, what were you absorbing as a kid? I mean, all sorts of stuff. I remember comedy was pretty big and loud uh, for I mean, there's always all sorts of stuff, but I like it was a lot of loud and in your face stuff in the, the 90s when I was a kid. I think it was, you know, Jim Carrey's comedy decade, but uh, overall, but uh, you know, I just thought that uh, everything is so loud and fast that if I just take things at a slower speed and a little bit calmer, is a uh, at the end of the day, when I, I think one of the, the best things is just that people can relax after while watching the show, and not feel you know uh, too forced. But the show came from a special I did called Joke Parrot Talks You to Sleep, which had the goal of doing just that. And um, I think that that kind of feeling I wanted to maintain throughout the series when we did it that. You know, if you enjoy the show, that's great. But if it makes you fall asleep, that's great too. And either way is fine. And it could be used both ways. And yeah, so I think that that's kind of the short of it. A lot of comedy is rooted in anxiety and sometimes anger in these sort of negative places. Whereas yours is very much not. So, I mean, what, do you remember the point when you decided that you think comedy? either should or at least could exist in this calm, more peaceful register? I think it was this, I think it happened my stuff before, but I remember uh, uh, my friend Nate Fernald pointed it out when I was doing stand-up and he said that you, sh- you could, it is kind of calming on stage. You could, um, you could make uh, people fall asleep if you wanted to. And that kind of connected it. I was thinking back as a kid that well, I used to fall asleep uh, when I was three years old. My dad worked in construction and brought home a VHS tape of this old house. And I would watch it every day before I fell asleep at nap time. And I think that's something about uh, that maybe stuck with me in terms of what I wanted to watch on TV at the end of the day, you know, more of a nature documentary or CBS Sunday morning that feels good to watch. And if I could combine with comedy with that and make it actually funny too, that would be something. So, okay, this old house, and it seems like there's maybe some Mr. Rogers DNA in there. Um, But what, what were like the comedy influences that you had? I mean, it is all the, place I, like i said i grew up in a, the, the 90s so yeah jim jim carrey and you know dumb and dumber austin powers were very big as a kid but then all sorts of stuff i think a big one for me was see zach alfanakis's uh comedy central presents where he did he had the 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 pages that he turned on the big uh, whiteboard and then had the choir of 17 uh, women who were, who were supposedly his ex-girlfriends and that was kind of a moment where it clicked that like comedy could be or stand-up could be pretty much anything as long as it's entertaining and uh, surprising. I watched a lot of Kids in the Hall too. I was thinking about them a lot with their new series coming out recently that, that was on Comedy Central when I came home from school. So I watched a lot of that. It's interesting to me because you 
you're drawing from these sort of broad, goofy, comedic elements uh, from things that you were watching. And then to merge that with something that makes you fall asleep or that you like to fall asleep to, it's it's not intuitive that mm-hmm. – like a lot of people would be insulted, I feel like, if it's like, oh, yeah, your comedy could make me fall asleep. But for you, you turn that into a feature, not a bug. <laughs> And I wonder how you came to that conclusion that those two can work together and it's not a bad thing. Well, I guess it's just the comedy is a good feeling and watching something that makes you laugh is a generally good feeling and so is falling asleep. So to tie the two together is fun. And then, yeah, there's definitely some characters that yell at each other or aren't the nicest, but... I don't know, just generally what I wanted to see portrayed on television, and I went and made that. I found my, I grew up with the four grandparents within like five minutes of me growing up. So, to you know, I wanted to see more old people on TV. There wasn't enough of that. <laughs> you and Joe Firestone have that in common. Definitely. That's, we definitely connect over that. <laughs> but so, okay, when you went to school, you studied film in college, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me, given the cinematic ambition, I think, that you can see in every episode of Joe Parra Talks with you. But was there, like, a, a version of you that became a you know, big director? Were you going to make an Austin Powers type of movie, and then sort of it turned into more of a comedy career? Or what was the idea there? I don't know. Um, Christopher Guest is really big for me. I don't know if I'm going to make a, a big Austin Powers, though I respect it. But like, just the way that he would um, really create uh, good, realistic, funny characters, I think, was uh, a big thing for me when I was going through school. And also, I realized that like, if I wanted to present a specific type of comedy needed to find the visual style to match if I wanted to take it behind beyond just stand up. And I, so that, I, that's why I think I was drawn to that to be, you know, to like Christopher guessed his voice or so the visual style and the, the premises of it being a documentary were such a, so important to the comedy. And I, you can't make a, a truly good, comedy movie or show i don't think without having a a strong style that matches it even if it's kind of subtle if you're just joining us i'm talking today with joe para creator and star of the adult swim show joe para talks with you para is also performing in omaha at the admiral on august 6th and tickets are available now yeah, that's that makes sense to me. I mean, Christopher Guest movies, so Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, and Waiting for Guffman. I mean, they all have kind of this – there's a gentleness to them, even though there's also a lot of sort of satire of specific types of communities. Uh, so yeah. That balance, I mean, I, that does make sense. I feel like his have a little bit more of a mean streak than what you bring, though. Sometimes. I would argue that deep down Christopher Guest has a respect – for the characters that he's dealing with. And even if he wants to beat them up and make fun of them a little bit, um, <laughs> there's still people and he cares about them. Which one's your favorite? I think uh, Waiting for Guffman is my favorite. He really, I don't know. I, I, He's such a funny actor himself. Uh, I love watching him do his thing in the the biggest way and then i mean yeah all the other greatest comedic actors are all in it with him and allowed to have pretty free reign and it, it yeah it felt like it hadn't tightened up in the same way that some of his later movies had or gotten more polished so it was very yeah i enjoyed it a lot so he's sort of notable for, I think he said that they would write like a 25-page script document where they'd have heavy details about the characters, but it was really sort of loose and improvisational when it came to figuring out what the scenes would look like. So, I mean, when when you thought about yeah. the process for film, is that something that carries over? Like, I guess, I don't know how scripted Joe Parra talks with you is or how much you're figuring it out in the moment. Unfortunately, it's a, uh, there's, I mean... Conor O'Malley has a lot of creative leeway on set to say whatever. Um, 
And, you know, we do try and stay flexible as much as possible. But at the same time, it's kind of the dilemma is that it's a 11 minute show and I've got to kind of tell the story of the character and then uh, explore whatever he's talking about properly and hopefully come to a conclusion and, you know, also a narrative end by the end of it. So it, 11 minutes, you can't have too much improvisation. Uh, or it'll just, uh, yeah, I don't know. At the pace that my show moves, we just wouldn't uh, finish anything. <laughs> so I don't know. It'd be fun for the future because there are scenes like um, at the end of the, the 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 first season, we asked real questions to kids and we let them answer them. And it was about a, uh, uh, we didn't give them up front. They're, they're just... Um, kids in Milwaukee that were acting in it and I had a real conversation about fears and their life and death and their opinions of it and it was very sweet and interesting to hear their responses but we ended up with 40 minutes of interviews that were excellent and then had to cut it down to I think maybe two three minutes in the episode which was uh really brutal so we do leave moments for it and also at the beauty parlor i was asking some of the actors who play my grandmother's friends in the show about their personal views and there's a lot of um i don't know a real conversation but it was we had to edit that down too and it was just with the tv schedule it's tough but there is moments in there and i think that it a lot of it um it still feels like improv and that we have a lot of space for it, but I don't know, maybe another project would be nice to do something with a little bit more improv. I'm glad you brought up the part where you talk about the fears and thoughts uh, that the, that the kids in the music class have, because I think that that's a good example of one where it's very moving to watch kids just openly talk about, their thoughts on life and these heavy subjects. And there's, there's a little bit of humor, right, in the way that your character is, like, why he's doing it, how he reacts to it. But also there's, there's a lot of emotion there. So that seems like an example where you, you can't just say, like, yeah, we thought it'd be funny, right? That scene's obviously engaging in, more, in a more deep way. So, like, <laughs> so it's like when, you, when you do that, was there a yeah. real intention to be deep there? Uh, I didn't know where it was going to go. I just, I mean, I thought... It's funny for this character to be so far in crisis that he's turning what are supposed to be music auditions for his students into uh, search for, you know, any kind of advice for them. And I, I kind of, I, I treated it really seriously with the kids. Like we weren't laughing. We didn't expect jokes. It was just, um, I guess it was, yeah, we were some really, beautiful moments and how they responded and opened up because I, you know, we did, we gave them each like half hour to answer the questions and I didn't rush them. And I just tried to, you know, treat, you know, have a adult conversation with them. And I think there are elements of something that's really, really goofy about that, but really sincere. And I don't know, Kids see a lot of things um, in a more uh, a straightforward way, or I guess it's a little bit more uncluttered by the by adult things, and they can get to the core of, of certain things that an adult would take a long time or feel a little bit um, uh, too guarded about discussing openly or sincerely. So it, it was both, a, I think, a, a sweet and funny scene to watch these kids be, uh, have a real conversation. And um, yeah, maybe we'll release the 40 minute version someday because it was, it was really good. Well, as far as the 40 minute version go, I don't know if you saw the new Mike Mills movie, Come On, Come On, starring Joaquin Phoenix, basically has the same plot as this, you know, two or three minutes of that episode where he's he's a radio host and he's going around interviewing kids about their fears and thoughts about the world and life and the future. And it was a good movie. I liked it. But the whole time I'm just thinking like, man, Joe Parra got here first. 
Did you happen really? to see? Yeah, no, did you, did you see that one? I haven't seen it. Oh. <laughs> no, I haven't. Well, it's interesting. Uh, definitely, tonally a little bit different. But I think uh, something you were talking about there was that the access that children have to emotion and to how they're feeling and to sharing vulnerability, maybe like effectively sharing a vulnerability, is something that I think the show is in many ways about characters like Joe and Sarah who, you know, they're they're struggling with that. They're not sure how to be vulnerable with each other, how to talk to each other. And those elements of communication, is it's where a lot of the humor comes from. But also, I think what people relate to emotionally on the show is just that sweetness and that catharsis of seeing people have these kind of real conversations and, like, their quirks, even though they are funny, like Sarah's character has this doomsday prepper basement, essentially, and you go down there and it, it becomes this mixture of sort of the absurd but also the very sweet and uh, I don't know, I, I, like when I think about Ethan writing about the show as this sort of uh, way of responding to despair, I feel like some of that's in the corners of the show, right? Because Sarah's character is very worried about how the world's going and whether the end of the world is about to happen. And Joe is less worried about the heavy stuff like that. But they still find a way to talk to each other and to communicate. And that that feels like in its own way, like a really nice message for the world that these disparate people can learn to talk to each other. Is that is that something you're trying to yeah. you know, comment on? Yeah, no, she, you no, know, yeah, I think her character tries to looks at the world in too large of a scale to the point where it becomes unmanageable, and Joe's too busy trying to, you know, figure out I don't know uh, what footballs are made of or why footballs <laughs> are made the way that they are, and it's too distracting from other stuff to the, the point of obsession and yeah having them kind of meet in the middle and balance each other out seemed like a fun approach to the relationship and it was kind of wild like um we started their character a little bit more humorously and always as a doomsday prepper and always wanted to make it you know treat her as a a real person with a bunch of sides but man i guess we learned in the past couple of years that having a fully stocked uh, basement bunker is not that as rare of a thing as we thought. I wonder. <laughs> so, and also, like, I don't know, when we went and shot there for the last season, and I was looking at when we're on that, we shoot in a real person's basement, but just looking around at the all the you know, bags of rice that we get in the water, and uh, we were shooting the last season during COVID and seeing the, yeah, it's, it is a comforting feeling to be down there and think like, this is not, this is not that absurd. <laughs> this is, I, I get it. And yeah. I, I think uh, actually so, I, I was kind of worried about the pandemic in terms of what that would do to Sarah uh, in this latest season. And you have this <laughs> – there's that funny line, right, that like, oh, the economy's great since it's you know 2018 and still. Uh, <laughs> something like those lines <laughs> in the first episode. So uh, I don't, how much is the show ready to deal with that in the way that uh, it might impact the characters? Uh, we'll see. I think the big thing last season was that uh, – we didn't it was kind of the thing for a lot of shows at the beginning of the pandemic how do you uh deal with it and uh the main thing was i just didn't feel a year into the pandemic that people would want to be watching people on screen with masks on um uh and i think that was good i think the season dealt with the pandemic in more indirect ways but yes it's 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 set right before the uh covid starts so okay it let's let's pause on that for a second because it, it you see you say that it, it dealt with the pandemic in indirect ways ostensibly season three is about chairs right um so yeah. when, when you're building the season then and i know you want to make it funny ultimately and you want to make it pleasant and nice but how do you build a season that deals with the pandemic, even though ostensibly it's about finding the right chairs to sit in? Um, I think we followed, uh, what we did was we followed through on um, just uh, Sarah, Joe Firestone's character has kind of these anxieties that keep on creeping up and uh, her and 
I kind of figure out how to how to go about managing them. And um, I don't know. I guess part of it was with my character in terms of building the chair. If you're, you know, building a chair, putting your energy into something, building or growing, uh, it's easy to to, uh, to the rest of this. A lot of other stuff falls away when you're, you know, channeling it into something like that. And I guess. It's probably maybe one of the bigger messages. It is a message of the show, of the show. It's to try and grow or build something of your own um, or put your energy into doing either of those things, like um, the Bean Arch in Season 2. So, um, yeah. Yeah, the Bean Arch in Season 2 is also tied to this idea of sort of like cycles, of life cycles, right? Because you have this idea that your Nana dies by the end of Season 2 and there's sort of like new life afterward. Uh, I actually wanted to talk about how it's interesting that in real life it seems like you do have parents, but in the show you do not. Because um, I know I, I was listening to you, I think, on the best show recently, where you were talking about your dad kept summarizing all the new episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, and I thought, oh, mm-hmm. so Joe Parrott does have a dad. Uh, he was not raised by his nana, I guess. So he is a little different from the, the character and the upbringing that you've built for the fictional version of yourself. How did that narrative mm-hmm. idea manifest? Uh, that's one of the parts of the show. Is, 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 uh, yeah, this is a different one of the differences between me and the character, but it's uh, something for the show. So another thing in the show is that you are not a professional comedian. You're a middle school music teacher. Um, now, there's the funny element of, like, you get to deal with kids, right? And there's some humor that can come from mm-hmm. that and often does. But I wonder, it seems so specific. Was, was there a point where that was, like, a real thought? <laughs> like, did you ever want to be a middle school teacher? Where does that come from? Yeah, I uh, went to... A lot of the, my friends at uh, college ended up becoming uh, middle school, high school choir teachers specifically. And um, yeah, I thought, and I grew up, I, I sang growing up, and I thought that that would be, you know, especially, uh, I thought it would be nice to depict a, uh, a music teacher. Um, uh, and the show there's uh, too many shows about comedians and lots of podcasts about comedians. We don't need another <laughs> thing about comedians. Need some respect shown to the music teachers around. <laughs> I'm talking with Joe Parra about finding his voice and his approach to comedy based in kindness and quietness, both in his stand-up and on his wonderful Adult Swim show, Joe Parra Talks With You. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events, and we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for, the reason why you subscribed in the first place, to hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is zero. In which case, ouch, but okay. If you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more more importantly, thank you for listening.
And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Remember, you can check out the backlog of all of these Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever your favorite app is. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Today I'm talking with Joe Para, comedian, actor, and creator of the Adult Swim show Joe Para Talks With You, which just aired its third season. Here's a clip from Joe Para Talks With You. It's showtime. Well, nearly. There's still about an hour until the new school year begins. I've had first days of school every year since I was five, and I'm still not sure when it officially begins. When I wake up, when I walk into school, when the first bell rings. By any measure, in a short amount of time, students will be in front of me and I will resume my societal responsibility of teaching 10 to 13 year olds how to make music with their mouths. Para is performing in Omaha at the Admiral on August 6th. Tickets are available now. Here's the rest of our conversation. Well, so, okay, for for a nice show, like an essentially kind show that's not especially crude or dark about a music teacher who's not on the coast, he's not living this crazy life. In fact, that's kind of the point. I would not think that Adult Swim is the obvious choice for where to put that show. Uh, they're sort of known for these darker shows like, you know, Rick and Morty or, you know, much, much crazier stuff than even Rick and Morty if you stay up late enough. So how, how, yeah. did, how did your relationship with Adult Swim start? Uh I was a fan growing up. I knew that they were, they always kind of were doing some of the most interesting things in comedy since their start. And uh, I felt that the show was, I don't know. I wanted my comedy to always uh, be different or trying something new. And I think the show in its own quiet way was something new than other stuff that was on at the time. And pretty, um, we pitched it around to, I remember we pitched uh, the Joe Parra Talks You to Sleep to another network. And the executive said, wow, that's perfect. Maybe we could do like a a three-minute branded content thing with uh, NyQuil. And they just didn't take the the more, the, the, the subtleties of it seriously or, you know, there's not, there's conflict, but there's not huge conflict. So um, it was kind of a hard sell. It didn't make sense to a lot of people, but um, Adult Swim and Mike Lazo, who was head at the time, really thought it was interesting and gave us a chance to to do the sleep special and then the Christmas tree special, and it kind of grew from there. And in terms of, I think it was good that it happened on Adult Swim because a lot of their shows are louder and faster and then as soon as it uh, something like my show comes on and it slows down a little bit, it's uh, a change of pace, which is important. Um, it makes the fast shows that much or on that air before and after more interesting and uh, my show more interesting just because you have to readjust and focus and think uh, what is this in a, in a good way? Kind of like when I was doing stand up uh, early on, I'd be in between two really loud comedians who were talking about, I don't know, trying to hook up. And then, you know, I would go on and talk about what I was interested in, say, about, uh, I don't know, um, for uh, how much I like eating rice and beans and, uh, and just dive into subject matter like that at my own pace. And it was the audience got a sense that it was different and it, it made for a more interesting show. And I think overall, when you pitched it as the specials, were you at all thinking that this would turn into its own sort of universe of like a Mr. Rogers type show where we understand the the neighborhood and the various characters in it? I mean, was the the possibilities of where it might go in your head at the very beginning? Uh, I think so. I had, um, yeah, more characters in mind and friends that I wanted to get involved. But the way that the specials went, it, we kind of developed it 
one step at a time and just focused on telling one story at a time and then incorporated more characters as we went and uh, established other things. So I didn't have a, a full a blueprint for everything in the show, but I definitely had a feeling about what it should be. And the each direct, each episode, I think after the specials, right, is directed by, is it Marty Shuspo? Is that how you say his name? Scousebo. Scousebo. It's okay, though. It's a, it's a tough, tough uh, Scandinavian name. <laughs> okay, Scousebo. So Marty Scousebo directs the episodes, and it seems like it has this mm-hmm. singular vision, and he seems like he brings a lot in terms of taking the subtext and making it visual. I don't know what the collaboration is like between the two of you, but how did he come onto the show, and what's it like working with him? It's pretty pretty close, and the show is uh, a lot of, is largely owed to Marty. Um, he uh, when we got the Christmas, I directed the sleep show, but then when it came time to do the live action Christmas tree special, I realized that I couldn't do all of it, and um, so I asked him to direct. We had worked together a little bit before, and he made my favorite comedy video of all time uh forget about it with carmen christopher and um yeah it's kind of rare in tv for uh one director to direct a whole season of anything a lot of uh times there'll be a few directors for each season of the show or you know one there'll be a director per episode but marty doing the whole series was great he was uh you know, a wonderful creative partner and, you know, everything was bounced between the two of us. For a lot of times I wasn't sure about stuff and, you know, he also helped, I think, make a, he's a, yeah, he's a great visual director and also a good comp person who kind of led the crew and was, um, yeah, because it, it wouldn't happen without him. So when you guys set out to make a season, so you've got Marty kind of at the helm, you've got you as I assume sort of the center of a lot of the ideas, but you also have a writing mm-hmm. team, which overlaps a lot with the cast, right? Joe Firestone, Connor O'Malley, and other people write and act on it. So what's it like to mm-hmm. like break a season of Joe Paratox with you? Um, it's difficult, but it's a, there's a lot of pieces because you get a – each episode's got its own story, but also its own subject matter. Um, so we got to kind of sometimes one comes before the other, and you just try and figure out how they do come together. Sometimes, I mean, every season we've been writing still while we were making it, which is pretty stressful. But um, and sometimes we don't even know fully how things are going to look till we get to the edit like what i was telling you about with the the middle school kids in those interviews we didn't know if it would even work we just kind of left the hole in the script and hope for the best but um yeah it kind of some of the episodes are there on paper right off the bat and some of them take to the very end to come together it depends but yeah i get to do the writer's room with uh, some of my best friends and some of the, like Connor and uh, O'Malley and Dan McConnell are some of the funniest people in all comedy, I think. And same with Joe Firestone. So to work with them and build their characters kind of from the writer's room with them is a unique and really cool thing. So are, are you coming in then with ideas that just sort of like bubble for you like what if what if we have a lighthouse episode what if we have a, a bob o'reilly episode and then they sort of help figure out how to make it a story is that the process it comes each one is a little bit different but i think the uh those two um the lighthouses was just i thought you know i would love to there's a lot of lighthouses in michigan that would make good subject matter and also something I wanted to read about. So that's how a lot of the stories come. And then the Bob O'Reilly one was, I think Dan and I were just driving in the car and that song came on on the radio and it was was as simple as just starting to talk about what if somebody had 
was hearing it for the first time and just kind of fleshed it out from there. Um, and then, yeah, and then how to, yeah, tie it into the rest of the season. But, yeah, so that's the story of those two. Yeah, the, the Lighthouse one in particular, I think, is uh, it's another one where there's a lot of sort of moving elements to it, where there, you have the goofy story of uh, or the goofy just visual, right, of you as this old lighthouse keeper with a big beard, uh, which is just it's kind of funny to watch. But then what it is is sort of this manifestation of Joe, the character's anxiety about whether he's useful enough uh, for Sarah. Right. And so. There's the manifestation of something that's a little bit dark in a way that I think is sort of emotional and funny at the same time. And it operates on all those mm-hmm. levels we've been talking about that seem a little bit more than just like, I want to make a funny 11-minute show. Um, <laughs> do you talk about all of that stuff when you guys are writing an episode? Yeah, that one was difficult because it was trying to manage a lot. And also, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you put somebody in a Civil War costume with a big beard. It's like, it can't, it can only fail so bad to do that. So I know, I don't know if there's a particularly uh, like a specific season four announcement or plan yet. Do, do we know for sure that the show is continuing? Uh, TBD. Okay. Man, I hope I hope so. So I'll, I'll encourage my listeners at this yeah. point. Bother Adult Swim. Encourage them. We need more Joe Paratox with you. <laughs> um, uh, thank uh, yeah. Outside of the show, uh, I loved seeing you on this last season of Search Party as an ER doctor who gets killed by a zombie, which is not a thing I ever thought I would ever see or thought I needed in life, but I'm really glad it exists. Um, mm-hmm. So are there other kinds of like left turns maybe that you're interested in making with your career? Like do you want to play like Hannibal Lecter or something someday? Really get out of your comfort zone? Mm. In terms of my, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this is a left turn. This is probably the most predictable thing, but it'd be nice to just uh, get out of the business and have a Christmas tree farm. <laughs> but that's in real life. But uh, no, I, right now it's just going on the road for the tour. It's just something that I haven't been able to do, do because we've been making the show and like a lot of the stand-up I've been doing goes, you know, it it goes into the writing of the show. If I get a good idea on stage, it'll end up in a script. And um, so I haven't been able to do ever really full-size tour and this is it and it's like uh it's incredibly exciting and fun where's this christmas tree idea come from are you you burned out and just looking at christmas trees you want to leave show business and start a christmas tree farm where where does that come from (laughs) i mean doesn't everybody (laughs) i've never had that thought personally but maybe i'm not i'm not thinking about enough now you've planted the seed no no yeah it's hard work uh, I might regret it, but yeah, I don't know. It seems like a pleasant thing to do. <laughs> I'm talking with Joe Para about finding his voice, his approach to comedy, how he builds a season of his great adult swim show, Joe Para Talks With You. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And remember, Joe Para is performing in Omaha at the Admiral on August 6th. Tickets for that are available now. <laughs> So in, in your stand-up, uh, in your ambitions with what to do with stand-up and doing a big tour, are you building toward like an hour? Will there be a Joe Paris special that comes out at the end of this? I mean, th- that's the hope, really. I'm, um, yeah, I'll be doing an hour in Omaha and kind of trying to tweak it. And then, yeah, hopefully shooting a special at the end of the year, which is, like I said, something I haven't had time to do until now or the ability I shouldn't speak like I could just do a stand-up special whenever I felt like. <laughs> but hopefully, because of the show and, um, you know, this tour, I'll be able to have a good polished hour that's interesting. And, uh, yeah, that would uh, be really exciting to film it. 
I think it's interesting how you do play a version of yourself on the show, and so there's sort of various Joe Para personas, and I'm not sure how much of the overlap there is between Joe Para on TV, Joe Para on stage, and Joe Para, the person I'm talking to now. What do you What do you make of that? I don't know. I guess you got come to the the live show, but uh, there's pretty much the difference is that in real life I do comedy and the show I am a choir teacher. Well, okay, so like, I guess, does that mean that the the real life Joe Parra then is more aware of humor and when you are being funny, whereas on the show it kind of happens accidentally, you stumble into it? Sometimes. I think the writers and my friends will tell you that I'm at my funniest when I don't realize it. I think everybody is. I love uh, the energy on the show, particularly when you have Connor O'Malley on, because he's just such drastically different energy than the calm, quiet Joe Parra on the show. Uh, because he's always mad about something. Mm-hmm. He almost he has an outburst, I think, almost every scene about whatever's going on in his life. He's all, kind of always up to a 10. Um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. when we talked before about the, the characters all have sort of their dissonant quirks and obsessions, and it's sort of about them learning to move past that, talk to each other. But when you're trying to, like, balance a tone, let's just say between a scene where it's you and Connor, how do you know that it's going to still be, <laughs> like, the right tone of this nice, quiet show as opposed to Connor maybe hijacking it for a few minutes? I guess you could do that in edit. But uh, again, you know, it's good. the classic comedy thing, our show isn't that sophisticated. You get the loud guy, you get the quiet guy. You put them together, and that's like, <laughs> it can only do so bad. Well, so, okay, I, I'm I'm excited. Like, in my mind, I, I hope Joe Parra talks with you runs for like 20 years. I don't know. I don't want to box you in. But uh, I'm curious to see, you know, like what else happens, what else is going on with Joe Parra. It seems like... Marty and you have a really good rhythm. I don't know if you guys talk about projects outside of the scope of the show. It sounds like you might want to do like a Christopher Guest type movie. Is that something you and Marty ever talk about? I mean, that would be fun for sure. I think Marty has his eyes on doing the film and um, perhaps I do too. I've got some ideas, but nothing is truly uh, uh, rolling yet. But we both got ideas and the beginnings of a script. So, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, hopefully it'll happen someday. Well, that's exciting. Uh, as far as your stand-up that you're doing here on August 6th at the Admiral in Omaha, is there like a pitch? So for yeah. people who maybe are familiar with the show, maybe they haven't seen your stand-up, what, what can they expect? It's like uh, we say sometimes, like uh, CBS Sunday morning uh, with, with jokes. <laughs> or uh let's see what's his name who goes to europe steve rick steves rick steves it's like uh rick steves never went anywhere that's the show <laughs> <laughs> so this, your stand-up is continuing this trend that of kind of merging uh unexpected energies and styles with comedy <laughs> how'd you come to that for the stage like is it, is it the same sort of progression you're like oh i like this why can't this also be funny yeah, this again, it's just stuff that I'm interested in researching. And uh, I think it's a little bit, it might be a little bit more lively than the than the television show itself. It's a, because uh, it's, you know, I it's different to put people to sleep on TV versus doing it when they're right in front of you. So uh, ideally, it's a little bit more lively and a little bit more, it's a, a fun evening out on the town. Well, I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I look forward to whatever it is that you're going to do next. I hope I didn't giggle too much. Just like I said, your energy, I'm just trained from the show. It makes me laugh so much. But it, it's been so amazing to talk to you today, Joe. Yeah, same. I can't wait to get out there. I've never been to Omaha before. So I'm really looking forward to doing the show and, and, and seeing your city. Well, thank you. Uh, this has been great.
Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find a backlog to all of my conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave us a review. To end today's show, we thought it's only fitting to let Joe Para talk you to sleep. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock. You don't have to be a music teacher to have your breath taken away. There's a lot of nice stuff that can do that. Like a really good lightning. Great water pressure. When you almost die, but then you survive. The flavor of a pineapple. When the hotel hot tub isn't filled with teenagers, so that you can relax your neck muscles after a long day of looking up at the air show. The Blue Angels were extraordinary in their FA-18 Super Hornet, but these jets are even better. Also, you don't travel much, so staying at the hotel is an exciting thing. When you go back to your room, you can watch a movie that's not even out on DVD yet. DVDs. Will they even exist in two years? Hard to tell. But the fact is that at some point, most stuff becomes obsolete. Textile mills were once powered by water wheels. Now, they are powered by hydroelectric dam. But it's good, because there's more cloth now than there ever was. Just think, there are 95 million metric tons of textile fibers now produced around the world annually. That should take your breath away. Also, when the ceiling at your favorite bar is a football field. Or when you open the box and your grief counselor is inside. Or the size and depth of Lake Superior. Or the moments it feels like your students do like you, because they take the time to explain a new slang. When you've caught your breath, I hope you'll doze off. And then tomorrow, your crush becomes your bae. Good night. <laughs>